0: Well, today is Palm Sunday in a lot of traditions, and in worship services around, well, all over, they have observances such as um, maybe the small children will open the service by bringing in palm branches and waving them as the people sing some form of a Hosanna song. And that's all fine and good. That is what occurred that day as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. The people met him on the path. They they waved and laid down palm branches, the, the, the victor's palms, for him to ride on and said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But I wonder if we're also teaching those children, those young people that do that, that we're helping them and encouraging them to recreate a moment of incredible fickleness in the people of God. Because that was Sunday. If you go with that, it was the day of the week that he wrote in Jerusalem, and they knew they had been promised a Messiah. God had promised them someone to deliver them. And here comes Jesus and, you know, people will say that he didn't make all that many bold claims about himself, but they haven't read scripture. Because Jesus told them who he was. I am he. So here they believed him. God promised a Messiah. This man says he is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then when he didn't topple the Roman oppressors the way that they thought the Messiah would. Just a few days later, chance of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, became crucifying. They turned him against him. They turned against him. They gave up on that vision that they had. And a question I want to ask today is, at what point, well, before I ask the question, let that lay groundwork. How many of us have goals and visions and dreams for what we thought life would be or what we think life should be or what we want life to be. We all have those things and and we've all had probably several as we've gone through life depending on how long life has been. We've had several and some have come to fruition and some are still works in progress. But how many of us have those dreams, goals, visions that we've given up on? At what point do we give up on a dream? At what point do we give up on a promise? I'm not asking at what point we should. I'm asking at what point we do. We've talked a lot in... in various times. A, a, a couple of, a few weeks back, I tried to talk about Joseph giving commandment concerning his bones and, and the fact that Joseph could see the long game. And we've talked about the patience of Job and how patience endured suffering and struggle. And Joseph also endured suffering and struggle. and And somehow... Not that there is no connection, but we've tried to draw a connection to those times when, when we're in waiting and things aren't working out the way that we think they should. But it's not really a good parallel because how many of us have really and truly suffered? I mean, the social security system aside, I don't think any of us have ever been sold into slavery. Because we're here and most of us are related in one form or fashion. Um, Most of us haven't had our entire family stripped away within the course of days. I mean, some of us have lost wealth. But that was only part of what happened to Job. So it's not an exact parallel. But what about those times when all we have to do is just wait? Wait when we have this dream or this vision or maybe even a promise that we think is from God but it's not coming to pass and maybe we're not suffering but we're languishing in the waiting at what point do we give up We can look I'm in, in Joshua chapter 14. actually I'll start in numbers 14. I'll start in numbers 14 and then ultimately go to Joshua. Um, here as, as we get into numbers, we, we kind of know the story, but in case anyone listens later, I'll, I'll, I'll catch us up. The children of Israel have been in bondage in Egypt for generations. And God has sent Moses and we've had the, the, the ten plagues and the miraculous deliverance through the Red Sea. And now the children of Israel are going to that land that was promised to Abraham long before. They're headed back toward Canaan, which was the land that Abraham was promised to, to thee and thy seed for all generations. It is the promised land. God made that promise to Abraham. And his seed, remember it. So as the, as the children of Israel are traversing across the wilderness, they are at the point that they are ready to cross the river into the promised land. But before they do, and, and this wasn't an act of doubt, this was an act of prudence that, that God even ordained, that they send one from each tribe as spies. And th- these were notable men. These were men of valor leaders among the tribes, to go into the promised land to scout it out. To see, number one, what the land was like, but also, number two, to see what they were to have to face in order to conquer it. Not to see what their odds were. God had already promised them the land. It was a matter of preparation, not even really so much a matter of scheming or or trying to do a pros and cons list. You know, in, in corporate terms, they were doing a cost benefit analysis. So the 12, they, they go in, and, they, and among them was Caleb and Joshua, and 10 others. And they come back, and Caleb and Joshua, they come back with fruit, they come back with a cluster of grapes so big that, that two men have to carry it. They come back with amazing fruit, and they talk about how wonderful the land is. And truly, this is a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a wonderful land. But the people are huge, is what the other ten focus on. Caleb and Joshua talk about the fruit. They talk about the land. They talk about the fact that it's promised, and it's a wonderful place. And then the other ten chime in and say, but the people are huge. They are mighty. We can't defeat them. <clears throat> and Caleb shushes everyone and says, yes, if the Lord is with us, we can certainly go and take the land. But the people's hearts melted in fear. They tried to stone Joshua and Caleb and, and Moses. Moses. wanted to elect a new leader to take them back to Egypt rather than die in the wilderness or well actually rather than die trying to take a land that they couldn't take so this land that they had been promised they refused to go take save Caleb and Joshua and we know that that God was angry with them God actually wanted to again Just kill them all and start over with Moses. And as a side note, it just goes to show you that if you really know the Lord, then you can talk to him. Because Moses intervenes for the people and says, Now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken saying the Lord is long suffering and of great mercy forgiving iniquity and transgression and by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation which is pretty much exactly verbatim the way that the Lord declared his name unto Moses when Moses said show me thy glory Moses knew knew the Lord and was able to speak so God pardons that iniquity to a degree, but there are consequences there are consequences for sin and so 40 years they had to wander in the wilderness a year for each day that the spies were in the promised land and refused to be obedient and God basically he laid it out and said none of you who doubted me are going to inherit the land (laughs) None of you. You're all going to die. Your carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness. Save Caleb and Joshua. And so what I want to read from here is what he said about Caleb. So in Numbers 14, starting in verse 28, he says, Say unto them, this is the Lord speaking, Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless, ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun, but your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in and they shall know the land which ye have despised. And before that, a little bit earlier, in verse 22, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, Him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. What strikes me there is, is Caleb was part of the children of Israel. So he already had the promise of the land. God had made him a promise. And yet he couldn't claim the promise. Sometimes we have goals and visions that are of us. But sometimes the Lord makes us promises. And, and often the journey is trying to decipher which those are. Because, yes, the Lord speaks to the heart, but also our heart burns deep within us of its own accord. And sometimes we have to search out the Lord's will. And, and that is a difficult thing to know, whether this desire that we have, this, this yearning that we have, this assurance that we have, is that, a, is that a dream given to us by God? Is that a vision planted there by the Holy Spirit? Is that a, is that a burden from the Lord? Is that a promise of God? Or is that our own? And so I'll get to more of that later. But here he had a promise from God. And God's promises are sure, right? Absolutely. But all of a sudden he's not able to claim the promise. Because of the people around him. Yep. So God's promises are sure, and like, that, like I said, I'll, I'll talk more about that later. But we need to know that sometimes it's not that God's promises aren't sure. It's that sometimes God's promises are delayed because we're not ready. Amen. Because we're not ready or the people that are with us are not yet ready. That's right. Or the people that lead us aren't ready. But when we are not able to claim that promise, do we give up on it? See, and then after that, Caleb is given another promise. Moses tells God, everybody 20 and up, they're going to die in the wilderness. Except Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb, imagine getting this compliment from the Lord. Because my servant Caleb had a different spirit within him because he had a different spirit with him. He will go into the land and he will possess the land wherein he went. So there's another promise. And so now I'll go to Joshua 14. Because we live in a microwave society and I talked about Palm Sunday at the beginning, Where everyone, they knew they had the promise of a Messiah, and here comes Jesus saying, I am He. Oh, good, He's here. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, you're not going to overthrow the Roman Empire? Crucify Him. You're not the promised one. They gave up too soon. And we shake our heads at that, but don't we do the same thing? We give up too soon. We forget that Joseph had the vision of the long game because God has a vision of the long game. Caleb here in Joshua 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God." And Moses sware on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. That's eighty-five years old. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou hearest it in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. And I'll stop there. How? At what point do we give up on dreams? At what point do we give up on visions? At what point do we give up on the promises that we feel the Lord has made to us? And again, the question is, what point do we? Not at what point should we? Because hopefully, as, as we go on, we'll, we'll answer the second. But at what point do we give up? Do we have the vision for the long game? Where Caleb was given a promise, the promise was ripped from his hands because of circumstances involving the people around him. So he was given another promise, that, and just a renewed promise that it's just delayed. And yet in a time when, when the citizens of Jerusalem gave up after three or four days and decided to kill the man that was their deliverer, how often do we give up on something because things don't pan out after a day, a week, a month, a year, a few years even? Caleb waited 45 years. Now, the average lifespan for us now is not even that long. Average lifespan in America, I think, is, what, 78 for women and 76 for men? Is that still yeah. current? Yeah. Right. So here, here, here he is. If he were alive today, he's long past the point where he should be dead. And he's still waiting for the promise, and there there are lessons that to be honest with you I, I didn't really even have this on my heart till I listened to a sermon by someone who talked about Caleb, and he went a different route but as I heard this as I heard him read this scripture, the Lord spoke to me differently we have a job when we have these visions and these dreams and, and what we feel like are promises or assurances. Some come from within, and we have to decipher is this of me or is this of God? And some ways that you can know is a promise of God, if it's from God, those promises are memorable. And they don't leave. Those promises of God, if it is truly of God, will and should weather any number of days, weeks, months, or even if it's 45 or 50 years, it will not leave you. Now some of us have had dreams or visions and we think God is leading us on this path and then you look, five years have gone by and you don't even remember what it is you wanted to do five years ago. Anyone had that experience? or you don't remember why you wanted to do it. In 2004, I was at Southern Miss working on my master's degree, and my only concern was doing as well as I could getting this degree, and I was already beginning to look at doctoral programs so that I could go work on my Doctor of Musical Arts because my dream, my vision at that point was to be a singing teacher like like the teacher that I had you know on on faculty at a uni- university impacting and helping future singers but also active in the performing uh, world myself for the life of me I can't remember why I ever wanted to do that <laughs> And now several of you along the way have said, well, why don't you think about trying to teach adjunct in a university? Well, one thing, it won't fit with a retail schedule. The other thing is, I don't want to teach voice lessons. Why in the world did I want to do that in 2004? Where here, a little bit later, I don't even know. <laughs> so you tell me, was that, a, was that a dream from the Lord? Was that a Promise of a career given to me by God? No, it's gone. It's past and gone. But I tell you what, at the time, I felt like this was the path I'd been put on. But I can look back and see that there was something I learned from that part of the journey. But that wasn't the promise. So, here's the thing. If you have... Elements like that in your life, where you wanted to do this and it just didn't pan out for whatever reason, or it changed, and you've become disenchanted with it, and you start to doubt whether or not God's promises are are true. Reevaluate whether or not that dream, that vision, that goal, that promise was that from the Lord. Because if it's gone and forgotten, that wasn't a promise from the Lord. Because a promise from the Lord is memorable. So that 45 years later, Caleb can stand and say, you remember what the Lord said to me through his servant Moses concerning you and me back then. And words that almost exactly the same. God told me I could have the land wherein I dwelt. Wherein I walked, not wherein I dwelt, wherein I walked. Almost verbatim what God had told him. I can't remember what some of y'all told me last time I saw you. And that was last week. Yet he remembers what Moses told him God said 45 years ago, verbatim. A promise of God is memorable, a promise from God is also motivating. I know I've got two M words there. I promise I'm not falling into the trap of alliteration. They just happen to be two words that start with M. But it's motivating. It drives you. It compels. It fuels your desire. Caleb is 85 years old and he says... I'm just as strong today as I was when I was 40. I'm ready to fight. (laughs) Pop, you as strong today as you were when you were 40? (laughs) Most of us wouldn't say that. You think of 85 and you think of someone, you want to be real ginger with them. And I know that lifespans were different then too. I'm not going to get into that, but I'm going to say something about the motivating power of the promise of God in Caleb's life because still their lifespans weren't crazy longer. I mean, he took out an entire generation in 40 years and that entire generation was everyone above the age of 20. So if you look at that, then most of that generation died before they reached age 60. There was no one that crossed in the promised land that was older than 60 except for Joshua and Caleb. But Joshua's 85 years old and he says, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40. I'm ready to go. He's bold. Give me that mountain. The Lord promised it. And he knows it's not going to be easy. He says, I still have strength for war. I know I'm going to have to fight for it. And I'm as strong today as I was. Let me go. Let me have it. So that desire, that, that vision that you have, that dream that you have, this thing that you wonder if it's a promise, is it motivating you? Is it fueling all of your desire? Is it the thing that wakes you up in the morning? Is it the thing that keeps you going all day? As a music major, even working on a master's degree, I hope that my voice teacher never finds this sermon online because I'm about to do true confessions. But they tell you if you want to succeed, then you need to practice at least an hour a day at the very bare minimum. Better would be a two-hour minimum. And if you can practice three, four, or five hours a day, that just makes you better in your craft. Well, now, my voice teacher was constantly practicing. She practiced her own technique as she taught me. Like she would go to model something and then she would stop herself and check herself. And that was fine because that taught me too. You know, a good teacher is also always learning. But the thing is, for her, that was a motivating thing for her that did fuel her desire to sing she's got this thing now where it's called a plank challenge and, and they're having singers sing while, while doing a plank and it's creating some fantastic sounds but I'm not motivated to that I couldn't practice an hour a day if I practiced an hour a day, part of that practice involved reading and memorizing texts, not actually vocalizing. I mean, I faked it till I made it because the because God gave me really a natural talent for some things, so that when things clicked, I was able to mechanize them but it I had this desire to do this for a career, but it didn't motivate me it didn't fuel me. I can look back and see that yeah, that was something my heart wanted to do, but why? Why when it didn't transform my life? When it, when it, didn't, when it didn't wake me up in the morning? It, it didn't move me through the day? That I couldn't even give it that minimum of an hour a day of hard practice? So what does motivate me? What does fuel me? What motivates you? What fuels you? What is that thing that God has promised to send you into or to bring you into or to make of you that drives you? Because desires come and go. And something may motivate you for a while. Like maybe there's a book series that that you're driven to and and you'll read voraciously until you get through it and then you put it down and you never read it again that's me with most of the book series I've read or you pick up a hobby and you're feverish at it until you gain a little bit of proficiency and you feel pretty good about like say you pick up knitting you've never knitted before and then you, and then you knit a blanket and it's and it's Not pro level, but it's pretty good and you feel good about yourself, but then your hands are tired and so you just stop knitting because, well, you learned something new, but you're not driven by it. That's how some of the things that come into our lives are. It's a fad for a while and it's a season. It's seasonal and then it passes. But that that promise of God, that thing that God is driving you to, it doesn't pass it doesn't change and it will keep you motivated the Olympic uh, or not the Olympics in ancient Greece there was a type of race I'm going to try to pronounce it right I don't know if I can or not Uh, A lampadodromia. you can at least if you can remember that sound you can kind of sound it out and look it up and maybe maybe find out how it is pronounced but it was a different type of race and it's where we get the idea of the torch relay for the olympics because this race the winner or the the runners they all carried torches the winner was not the first one to arrive at the finish line the winner was the first one to arrive with their torch still lit Now imagine that. How can that impact us? A lot of us are in a real hurry to reach the finish line. But is the fire out by the time we get there? That's That's good. Caleb surely was nearing the finish line. But look at what he said. His fire was still going strong. I'm now 85 years old. And I'm as strong as I was the day Moses first sent me. Moses is long gone. But Caleb's fire is still burning. And if we think about that type of race, what does that say about some of what Paul said? You know, keep in mind, Paul was a Roman citizen, but in a lot of the epistles where he talked about athletic events, he was hearkening to Greek athletic events he would have been familiar with this torch race. And while he may not have used the exact same word, you have to know that at least that was in his mind when he says, run your race. In fact, when he says, I have finished my course, that word course is dromia, from dromia. He says, I've finished my course. I've gotten to the finish and my fire is still burning. So as as you chase after and cling to that promise of God, you may go through a season where you have to wait and maybe, maybe it's only a short time, but what if it is 40, 50 years? Are you going to keep your fire burning? Are you going to run that race so that the fire doesn't go out? And I don't know what that promise is. Maybe I've heard that some have gotten a promise from God that their children would be saved. And then it hasn't happened yet. Are you giving up? That Lampedadromia, there were two types. There was the one where individual runners ran the whole race with a torch. And then there was also a type that was a relay. It would be a team of runners. Someone would run for a while and pass off the torch to the other. This is where we get the Olympic torch relay. they pass off the flame to another. And there were teams doing this. So the first team that got their runner to the finish line with the torch still lit, that team won. Now envision that with in mind the perpetuity of the Lord's church. We get to the end and the candlestick is still burning. We've won. Now we can talk about how we bring up generations but go farther back than just just Grace Church. Go farther back than the local churches around here and go back to the church that the Lord Jesus started and how they've passed on a torch, through generations, and many times the runners have been running in deep darkness. Amen. Amen. And even today, it wasn't too long ago. There was—I can't remember which Olympics it was—but in in order to have the course be cover as many countries and and just be as impressive to men as they could make it, they found a way for the runner to run underwater. I imagine holding the torch above water. I would, hope so they, they, put the, they put the torch in a plane and someone flew with the torch the point is there are times there are times in the history of the church that the runners have had to run under cover of darkness hidden but the fire still burned because the promise of god to preserve his church is so compelling so motivating so memorable that the runners cannot let the light die they will not let the light die so as we think about even our local churches and he, and even even our church what are we building for it was it was somewhat apropos that that Brother Hackett talked about, we believe we'll have a building. Well, we do. So is, is that a promise from God? Is that a dream that God has laid on our hearts? If it is, then yes, don't get discouraged. We may, we may not see it, but we keep running the race. We keep the torch held high. We keep it lit. We pass it on to the next generation that comes after us. And maybe we'll see a building, or it may be my grandchildren that build a building for Grace Missionary Baptist Church. But we run the race because the promise of God is memorable. We cannot forget it. And it is also motivating. It keeps us going. And I said earlier that I ask when we do give up on those dreams and visions, not when we should. Because the answer is that if if it's a dream, if it's a vision, if it's a promise from God then we should never give up because his promises are sure. Every promise of God is yes and amen. But that doesn't mean it's yes and amen right now. It just means it's yes and amen. The other thing though, again, because we live in a microwave society, we think things are going to be easy. But promises of God are mitigated by obedience and contingent upon grace. Always. Always mitigated by obedience. Yes, uh, we talked in Sunday school about an everlasting covenant. It was an everlasting covenant, right? Never going to end. Always valid. But even that promise of God was conditional. Yes, I will keep my end, but you have an end to keep too. And when two parties enter into contract or covenant or a promise, when two parties enter into that, then it's like a contract. If one side breaks their part of the contract, the contract is null and void. So Israel can't say that God's covenant was not everlasting because God didn't keep his covenant. They didn't keep theirs. And therefore God was no longer under any obligation to see his end through. God's promises are mitigated by obedience. He promised them the land. But when the spies came back and said the people are too big, We can never defeat them. And they murmured against Moses and they murmured against God. Why would God bring us all the way out here just to have us die at the hands of these giants? Would that we could return to Egypt. They failed to obey. They failed to obey. God's not obligated to his promise anymore. So it's mitigated by obedience, but also, what was the word I used? I've already forgotten. Contingent. Contingent. Contingent upon mercy. Contingent upon grace. Because, yes, the people disobeyed. They disobeyed, they didn't trust God, and they murmured against Him. He was well within His right to remove the promise. But God, who is rich in mercy, abundant in grace, said there are there are consequences. This generation, you'll fall in the wilderness. But your children, your children who are innocent of murmuring against me, they'll see the land. That's grace. Too often we... Tend to, especially in this culture, if someone promises something, well then it's off of us. Or we have the prosperity preachers, the false prophets, who will teach us that God has promised to bless. And they fail to mention that it is and can be mitigated by our obedience, and that even if we're obedient, we must not become arrogant, because his blessings are contingent upon his grace. And Caleb understood that. Caleb understood that number one, though the land was promised to him, he was going to have to work for it. Give me this mountain. I'm ready for war. But he also said, if so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out. Caleb knew that even the promise of God is still contingent upon his grace. He did not take the grace of God for granted. He knew that God didn't owe him anything, which unfortunately in our culture today, we feel like everyone owes us something. And the people of God or the people that say they're the people of God are not immune from that because all too often we see what we call a promise from the Bible and we want to apply that to ourselves, even though it wasn't necessarily to us. And we claim it and expect that God's just going to let it fall in our lap because that's His promise. Because after all, He is the genie without a bottle. But His promises are memorable. They don't leave us. They're motivating. They, they fuel our desire to continue. And we don't take them for granted because we know that they're mitigated by our obedience and contingent upon his grace toward us. Which that is something we can count on. But we still mustn't take it for granted. So what is it that you have? What, what is your vision, your goal, your dream, the thing you feel that, that you've been promised that hasn't come your way? Have you searched out to know if it's of God? I can't answer that. And, but we need to be asking that question for ourselves individually and for ourselves corporately as a body. I know we've kicked around a lot of things, the idea of a a church school, the idea of, of a building, of a training facility. Are those things of God? Yes. Amen. They haven't come to pass. That doesn't mean they're not of God. But are they fueling our desire? And are we being obedient so that God can bring them to pass? Or are we just expecting that will happen? Are we working toward those ends? Or are we just expecting that God's going to lay it in our lap? I don't know what any of the answers to these things are, but hopefully the Lord stirs us to think about these things and consider them. Because we need to consider them corporately and personally. But if we have a promise from God, if we have something that has been revealed to us, by God, His desire for our hearts and for our lives. Then we must never give up. And even if we reach the end of our lives, and we're 85 years old—only only a couple of us are getting near that—but even the rest of us get that. We must be willing, and we must be willing to contend for the faith with the same strength that we did when we were first saved yeah. Amen. 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 Can, Paul tells us that contend for the faith but we learned that from, from Caleb we learned what that looks like I was 40 when I was first sent out what if we could say I was 20 when I first got saved I was I was 25 when I first got called to preach I was I was 30 when I joined the church and we say and now forty years later I'm still as strong as I was I'm ready for the promise give it to me I'm ready to fight for it see so we don't get to we don't get to Control what happens with the people around us. And so maybe, maybe our promises, maybe our plans, maybe our dreams, our goals have been delayed because we're not ready. Or maybe the people around us aren't ready. Now I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but I just want to make that point again. Maybe the people around us aren't ready. Maybe the world around us isn't ready. Right. Right. Amen. So this time of waiting which, don't you sometimes think it might even be easier if we had to suffer? Because at least then there might be a point. <laughs> but to just walk around in a desert for 40 years, that just seems kind of pointless. But it's still, it's training. You, know, you in, in times of suffering, you learn to draw near to God because it's the only way you can make it. But in But in times of wondering, you learn to see the long game. You learn to believe that God's promises are true. true. Even though you don't see the end in sight. It's training. It's long and it's hard, but we keep running the race and we keep that torch lit. Because we've got to pass it off to the next generation. That's all I've got. I'm anxious to say this.